Thanks again for joining us as we bring you another brew session with Marketing Essentials. I'm your host, Jenna Schultz. I am a UX, UI web designer and developer with Marketing Essentials, and I'm joined with my co-host and co-worker, Jessica. Hey there, I'm the content strategist here at Marketing Essentials. Brew session is your chance to join us every week with your favorite brew, whether that's a cup of coffee or something stronger as we discuss everything digital marketing. If you're new to our podcast, I encourage you to go back and catch up on our most recent episodes. Right now, we're in the middle of a multi-part series where we are discussing everything about websites, and today's episode is part four in that website-specific series. Also, for those newer listeners who aren't familiar with Marketing Essentials, we are a full-service digital marketing and sales agency located in small-town Minster, Ohio, but serving clients nationwide. You can find us online at mktgessentials.com or at mktg underscore essentials on Instagram. All right. Thanks, Jenna. So last episode, we talked about everyone's burning question that always comes up when we talk about uh, websites. How much do they cost and why do they cost so much? And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I encourage you to head over to Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to listen to it. And today, like Jenna said, we're going to be continuing our website series. And today we're talking about conversion rate optimization, which we often refer to in our office as Crow. Crow is all about making small tweaks to different elements of your site to learn what visitors respond to best and ultimately to get more people to convert on your site. And conversion could mean anything from clicking a button to get more information, to filling out a form, to tapping a number to call you. And the goal of any good website should be to elicit more conversions. And before we get started, I'm gonna cover something that's kind of a pet peeve of mine, but you'll probably see this a lot if you do any kind of research on Crow. So there's no one magic way to increase conversions on your website, whatever um, you might read in an article. So if you read something that says, okay, purple buttons increase um, clicks, or this is the perfect landing page layout, you have to take them with a little grain of salt because Crow is all about testing and testing and testing different elements on your site to see what works best for your audience. I am so glad you brought that up, Jessica, because that's also a huge pet peeve of mine because first of all, no industry is the same, no website is the same, no one audience is the same. So people will respond to websites and buttons and layouts in different ways depending on the context that they're in. So there is no one perfect solution above all. Jessica, a question I often hear is, how do you even know what to test and what can all be tested? Because frequently the only thing we hear about is, okay, change the color on that button on the form. So what else is there? Yeah, that's a great uh, starting point. You have to know what you're testing before you do it. So think about what will make the biggest impact on your website's performance. You know, what is that most important conversion that you want people to take? Maybe it's filling out a sales form or like Jenna said, they're tapping a button to call you but really anything can be tested or tweaked, whether that's the color of the button, um, copy that's in headlines or call to actions, 
how things are placed on the page, the types or sizes of images, or the number of fields on a form. So really the sky's the limit. You just have to kind of figure out um, what kind of results you want to get from your test. So I think that brings us to our next point. Even though anything can be tested, you want to focus on things that can actually make an impact. <laughs> so how do you know this? First of all, you want to check your analytics. So if you have Google Analytics or something like that installed on your site, you want to look at what are your highest performing pages? What parts of your website will make the biggest difference if you could just get a few more people to convert? So maybe that's your contact page, for example. Some people think conversion rate optimization isn't worth it because you might only be getting a few extra conversions. But let's look at an, at an example here. So if you're purchasing a certain item on your site and that will bring you a revenue of $50 from that one item, for example. But let's say you get 100 more, people, 100 more people in the course of a year to purchase. That's an additional $5,000 for your business. So especially if you're a small business, that's a huge increase. So while that may be a pretty simplified example, it can show you the power of conversion rate optimization. Yeah, and that's a good point, Jenna, because Crow is really all about making those small little tweaks that can end up making a big difference. So let's talk about some tools that you might need as you decide to get started on your Crow journey. So you definitely don't need to go out and just start spending a ton of money um, purchasing tools for Crow. If you do a quick Google search, there's a lot that they say you need to have up front. But I don't think you really need um, to go crazy at the beginning. There are just a couple of basics that I think will help you. So one of those is Google Analytics or whatever kind of analytics um, tool you're using. So you can track things on your site, like how many people went to a landing page or how many people clicked a certain button. Another thing that's kind of nice to have, you don't necessarily need it, um, but if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of what people are doing on your site, a heat map tool, um, we use Hotjar here at Marketing Essentials. There's also other ones, Crazy Egg, Lucky Orange, they all have funny names, but they can show you exactly where people are clicking on your pages and how far they're scrolling. Sometimes you can even see um, recordings of people using the site and how they're using it. Another one that is expensive and inexpensive and really um, quick and easy to use is Google PageSpeed Insights. This is just a free tool where you can put in your URL and it's a simple way to check how fast your website's loading. So if that's really important and it probably should be, um, that's a good way to test to make sure it's loading quickly. And then finally, a, a simple thing to help improve your site that I think a lot of people overlook is just asking customers for feedback. So you can do this, you know, either informally, maybe you just ask people um, when they're checking out or you send them an email, or maybe you could even set up a simple survey with something like Google Forms. Now, if you wanna get into really advanced crowd testing, um, if you have a CRM, for example, HubSpot, that will enable you to do different A-B tests and, and test different elements of your site. There's also Google Optimize, which can be a little confusing to use if you're not a developer, but there are options out there if you want to get more um, in-depth in your crow testing. Those are some great examples, Jessica. My favorite that we incorporate all the time, um, well, really two of them, it's the heat map. So like Jessica said, we use Hotjar and we have those on every client site and also running frequent Google PageSpeed Insight checks because again, it's free and you can get a real-time analysis in how your site is performing 
And honestly, something as simple as improving your page loading time can make a huge impact on the conversions on your site. So don't overlook some of these free tools that can really aid you in getting better conversion rate optimization. That brings us to our next point. So how does a Crow experiment work? Let's say you're all ready to get started with conversion rate optimization and you're thinking, all right, you've convinced me, now what, what do I do? First, you wanna identify what you wanna test and find a system to help you keep track of those results. And this is, can be something as simple as just a spreadsheet. Think all the way back to your high school science classes and start by forming a hypothesis of what you think will happen once you run the test. But here's the tricky part for most people. You want to choose just a single item to test, such as button placement on the page. This way you can ensure that any changes that are happening are coming from that edit and not from something else. And you might be eager to test a whole bunch of various things, but I promise you need to hold back, test a single thing at a time. And this is sometimes the hardest thing even for us to do is to focus on one item, otherwise you're going to muddle your results and you're not going to be sure what actually had an impact. Next, you want to make the change and just note it in your spreadsheet that you've started. Then you're going to let the test run for a set amount of time. And at this point, here's a quick note about statistical significance and sample size. And I bet you didn't think we'd be talking about this stuff today. I mean, I sure didn't. But basically, you need to know with certainty that a certain result is reliable and in order to do so you need a large enough group of people testing it or a large enough sample size to achieve clear results or statistical significance. What this means is that the more you let your test run, the more people will have a chance to respond and the clearer your results will be. Then you can check in on your experiment while it's running, but again resist the urge to make any changes until the experiment is complete. Once your experiment has run for a set period of time, look at the results. Did the test achieve what you thought it would? And if not, that's actually not a bad thing because you still have a clearer picture of what worked for your audience or what didn't. And most tests do fail, so don't let that discourage you. Just keep testing. And actually, a good rule that we aim for is just aim for failure in in crow testing, in crow results, because if you're not ever failing, something's wrong with the results, with the test that you're running. So aim and aim for failure. <laughs> Probably the only time you'll hear that. That's a great point, Jenna, because sometimes, like you said, I think you learn just as much from, you know, what didn't work, what people weren't responding to, um, as what did work. And so while we say, you know, only test one thing at a time per page, Feel free to make multiple tests um, throughout your site if that's something that you want to do. But again, just make sure on any given one page, make sure you're just testing that one thing so you can really pinpoint what's making the change. So I know we got a little bit scientific today, but I think being a good marketer takes all kinds of skills. So we're going to drop some resource links into the show notes and then you can learn more about a couple of the tools and techniques that we discussed today. Moving on to our house blend section with some marketing tips and news and insights that we're seeing. 
First, um, I came across a recent article on, on marketingweek.com, and it was talking about how brands can rebuild themselves, essentially, in this initial aftershock of COVID. Obviously, it's, that's all still going on, but that initial shock has passed. And they said that while many will argue that it's not time to get caught up in quote-unquote fatty nonsense like purpose, the author argues that this is exactly the time to think about your purpose as a company and allow that to refocus your brand as you rebuild over the next few months. Here's a direct quote from the article that I'm going to share, and I think it's actually fascinating. I believe that it really backs up the idea that every company should be evaluating their purpose and using it to drive their strategies moving forward, and it may even be a competitive advantage for you moving forward. So here's the direct quote. Not only do purpose-driven companies elicit passion and commitment from their people, their customers, and their consumers, they were also shown by DDI, EY, and the Conference Board's 2018 Global Leadership Forecast to outperform financial markets by 42%. Companies without a sense of purpose within their vision or mission underperform by 42%. So that's, that's huge. I think that says it all. I think this is a really interesting article, Jenna, and I think what trips people up sometimes is purpose doesn't have to be something as, you know, crazy as we change the world with our products. You know, it can be much more focused, um, but I think the core idea here is that you're very purposeful um, and kind of honed in on what exactly makes you different from competitors and why you exist. So I think especially, you know, as COVID is kind of disrupting things, things are changing, Think about what in particular about your brand or your company um, it makes you special, makes you unique, provides an advantage to your company, to your customers. Um, otherwise, I think it's really easy for you to get lost in the shuffle and for your brand to kind of just blend in with others. So um, great find, Jenna, on that one. Next up, this is kind of an interesting one um, that we could probably talk for a whole episode about, but there's a new trend online, or you maybe have already seen it, called cottagecore, which is all about kind of an aesthetic that most of us are associating with a rural or kind of a rugged lifestyle. And if you're a pop music fan, you'll probably realize that Taylor Swift's newest album, Folklore, leans pretty heavily into this trend. But it's actually popping up in a lot of places, and we're seeing this in some ways in the business world too, which I'll explain. So think about the number of things like subscription boxes that have popped up in the last couple of years or how popular Etsy shops are, or how people have made this whole industry about raising you know, chickens or animals in your backyard. Those have all become trends in the past couple of years. And I think to me that shows people are really gravitating toward these kind of handmade, um, custom or local products and services that kind of celebrate the simple things instead of the more mass market fashion and culture that was kind of more popular previously. So how this applies to you, if you own a small business or you work in kind of a, a cottage industry, um, definitely play it up. Let, let it shine in your marketing that you're small and you're proud of it. Or, you know, talk about how everything you make is custom designed or comes from local ingredients. This is something I think is kind of a stark contrast to the consumerism that we've seen more um, for the last couple of decades. And I'm kind of predicting it'll stay around for a while, especially as the pandemic is going on and people are kind of seeking that um, comfortable, peaceful feeling. 
I find this absolutely fascinating, Jessica. I have definitely seen this shift just on social media and as I've been searching and scrolling. And I think you're so right. We need to think about as businesses how we can use this to our advantage. You know, it's it reminds me of what we talked about on just one of our previous episodes with all of the outdoors type of gear, like really trending now because people are forced to, you know, stay at home and go back to that more simplistic way of life, I guess, so to put it. So this really plays off of that. So if you can take advantage of this and put this kind of spin or angle on your business, I think you're going to see some success from it. Okay, next up, we are going to move on to some listener submissions. And as always, we encourage you to jump over to our Instagram page. That way you can submit your questions, uh, whether you're in business or you're looking to get into business or marketing. We really encourage any and all questions so that we can highlight it on our podcast. Up first, we have one from a college senior majoring in marketing. And they're asking, what are the most important things I need to know so I can get a job in marketing when I graduate? I love this question. I think the most important thing to help you get a job and really any job, not just marketing, it's not necessarily the skills, but the traits and examples to back those up. So what I mean by this is maybe you're a really hard worker and harder than anyone else in your class. Put that on your resume, but share specific examples of when you went above and beyond as a hard worker instead of just saying, I'm a hard worker. Because anyone can say that, so give some meat to back it up a little bit. Or maybe you're a real stickler for details and you have a crazy story about a time you edited a paper and you caught a huge mistake. Things like these will really set you apart from other candidates. Just something as simple as that because a lot of people don't do this. A good company is going to hire you because you fit into their values and their culture. The training in specific skills or systems can always come later. And above all, you want to be willing to learn and push yourself to discover things for yourself. So I think those are some of my biggest tips. Jenna, I think those are really great tips. I think this is actually a really interesting question. We could probably do a whole episode also on this. Um, But I kind of my tip I would say is don't be afraid to go outside the mold a little bit. And I know a lot of colleges, they kind of tell you don't, don't do that. Um, and obviously you want to make sure, you know, you come across as professional and, you know, you have no grammar mistakes, things like that. Um, but don't be afraid to talk about those things that do make you different and, and special talents or skills that you have that not every applicant has, because I promise you it's going to make a lot bigger impact on the person looking at your resume um, than a thousand resumes that all look the same. So kind of don't be afraid to do that. I do love that suggestion, Jessica, to sort of break outside the norm because although it's it's business related and you think it should be like very like straight laced or strict or to the point, um, marketing professionals do need to have that creative flair, even if they're not a designer. So if you can bring that to your resume and really show you know, your differences and some quirkiness and how that can benefit your employer, I think that'll work really well for you. Yeah, absolutely. We might have to revisit this question at a later date because I I think we have lots of good tips for people. Yeah, agreed. We do have one more question. This one comes from a small business owner and they say, I basically run all of 
or marketing myself, um, I'm realizing I just don't have the time to do everything. Are there specific marketing tasks that would kind of get me the most bang for my buck? So uh, definitely trying to do everything yourself is a big job. It's really difficult, so kudos to you. Um, and you're right, there are certain tasks that would probably make a bigger difference and one that you can spend less time on. So number one, I would say make your website um, or if you have an online shop, maybe that's Etsy or um, a Facebook shop, make that a priority because that is what people are most searching for and that's what is gonna make a biggest, the biggest impression on people. Um, then I would say just pick two or three other channels to focus on instead of trying to do everything. So maybe you have, for example, a really good email list and Instagram performs really well for you. So stick to those channels and just focus on quality instead of trying to do everything. And I would say don't worry so much about, you know, posting daily or multiple times a day. If you're putting out something that's really helpful and people like it, um, that I think that is more important than posting all the time. So if you do end up getting more help down the road or you hire an agency maybe, then you can start to focus on a couple more channels for your program. But I guess kind of the theme of this is find what works best for you and really stick to that and be where your customers are. So if none of your, for example, Twitter posts are ever performing, just don't waste time on that platform. Focus on what does work best instead. Great recommendations, Jessica. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's episode, part four in our website focus series. We're really excited you joined us. And again, if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, I would probably first encourage you to go start and listen through the rest in the website series. Uh, but really any of them, I think you can benefit from some of the marketing tips we've shared. Some of them have been very like COVID or pandemic specific. And the rest, we're really just trying to make them quick and actionable. And if you, again, want to submit any listener submissions, our Instagram handle is at MKTG underscore essentials. Thanks for joining us. 